Bhagavad-gita says, if we are able to look deeply into our suffering and embrace it tenderly, great compassion can be born. So let's sing it one more time, really taking in the meaning of this beautiful, of this beautiful practice song. Forget your perfect offering. Forget your perfect offering. Just ring the bells that you can ring. Just ring the bells that you can ring. There is a crack in everything. There is a crack in everything. That's how, That's how the light gets in. That's how the light gets in. That's how. The light gets in, that's how the light gets in. So my Dharma sister Gail Spear in my Sangha uh, offers this um, homage to our teacher. Dear Thai, you have taught us to listen and look deeply in order to see the miracles of life that are always available in and around us. You've taught us that compassion, warmth, and concern are our true home. We know that you're always there in our mindful breathing and in our peaceful steps. We pay homage to you, beloved teacher, Teknakan. So yesterday we met Manjushri, the forever young genius, Bodhisattva of great understanding who teaches the six ways to bring prajnaparamita into action in our lives. Since uh, in Mahayana Buddhism, compassion is equally as important as wisdom, now we're going to get to know Avalokiteshvara, the bodhisattva of great compassion, sometimes called the one who hears the cries of the world. So then BK's original song, Return to Love, reflects the life and teachings of this bodhisattva and recognizes the avalokita within each of us. Enjoy Return to Love.
Remember who you are. Remember where you come from. Every breath is a time for waking up. Every out-breath is a time for letting go. Don't hold back, no, no, cause this is it. Return your mind to your body. Return your heart to Feelings, they come and go Like clouds in a windy sky Every in-breath is a time for waking up Every out-breath is a time for letting go don't hold back, no, no, cause this is it. Return your mind to your body. Return your heart to love. It's not too late, it's not too soon. Even heartache can be calmed and cooled. So don't hold back, no, no, cause this is it. Return your mind to your body. Return your heart to love. Return to love Return to love This um, Bodhisattva of infinite compassion and mercy is probably the most well-known and beloved of all the bodhisattvas. Tibetan Buddhists believe that each Dalai Lama is a reincarnation of Avalokiteshvara. In the beginning, Avalokiteshvara was portrayed as a male. The story is that he vowed not to rest until he had freed all beings from suffering. To seal his vow, he said, should I ever become disheartened in saving all sentient beings, may my head shatter into a thousand pieces. Which seems a little extreme to us, but it was a symbol of his fervent compassion and determination. 
Well, he worked day and night, listening deeply with an open heart to all of the cries of the world, listening without judging, without interrupting, without giving advice, listening with the intention to just fully understand. And after his heroic efforts, he sat down for a little, I would say, well-deserved rest. And I imagine that he smiled, thinking that his job was done and he had relieved the suffering of all beings. Everyone was freed from suffering. Um, before we see what happened next, I need to explain what hell is in Buddhism. Hell is not a place you go when you've been bad. Hell, as taught by the Buddha, is the suffering you experience right here in this life. Hell is anger and the search for revenge and impatience and discrimination and worry and so on and on and on. This little Zen story um, describes hell as well as heaven. So a soldier came to a Japanese Zen master and asked, is there really a heaven and a hell? Who are you? said the master. I'm a samurai, the warrior said. <laughs> you, a soldier, laughed the master. What kind of ruler would have you as a soldier? Your face looks like a beggar. The soldier became angry and began to draw his sword, but the master continued, so you have a sword. Hmm, your weapon looks too dull to cut off my head. As the warrior drew his sword, the, re the master remarked, here you open the gate of hell. At these words, the samurai, understanding the master's teachings, sheathed his sword and bowed. Here you open the gate of heaven, said the master. Okay, now we can pick up Avalokiteshvara's story. So Avalokita, glancing down into the hells below, hells he had emptied by listening with deep compassion. He saw that countless beings were flooding back into their suffering. He was overwhelmed with disbelief, hopelessness, and despair. Maybe you've had an overwhelming feeling like that. Well, Avalokita was so devastated by his fa failure to fix everyone that true to his vow, his head burst into a thousand pieces. Maybe you've had a headache like that too. <laughs> At this point, you and I might give up, but Avalokiteshvara didn't. He called for help. His old teacher, Amitabha Buddha, came running, gathered up all the shattered pieces of his head, and reassembled them into 11 heads, you know, so Avalokita could be more aware of the suffering of the world. And he built four 
or maybe a thousand arms, depending on which story you, you believe. The many arms, of course, made it easier for the Bodhisattva to help more beings. In some of the many hands, his teacher placed tools to help Avalokita with his work. A jewel, symbolizing compassion, a mala, symbolizing meditation, and a lotus flower, symbolizing wisdom. Or, in some stories, we hear that the teacher placed an eye in the palm of each hand so Avalokita could better see the suffering of the world. Bodhisattva mm, legends like this one are powerful spiritual metaphors. As we walk the Bodhisattva path, the path of taking good care of ourselves so that we can take care of others, we're bound to be discouraged now and then because our wisdom and compassion are not yet perfect. We're bound to be frustrated sometimes because we're not able to help ourselves or others. That's when we need to call for help, like Avalokiteshvara did. That's hard. For some of us, it feels weak to call for help. But our teachers and our sanghas and our friends and others, AA, NA, counselors, therapists, doctors, are there to help us put ourselves back together, inspire us to renew our vows, and encourage us to strengthen our practice. Some of us may, at times, need more intensive help, and like the Bodhisattva, we should ask for it. Avalokita shows us that asking for help is a sign of wisdom and strength, not weakness. Beginning in the 12th century, Avalokiteshvara was no longer portrayed as a male, but had both male and female characteristics. We're told this symbolized the Bodhisattva's ability to transcend dualities. But there might also have been uh, cultural reasons for the Bodhisattva's gender ambiguity. For example, in medieval Japan, Avalokiteshvara was pictured as a female with a thin black mustache and a little goatee, like the ruling shoguns and warlords. Somewhere in the 12th and 13th centuries, Avalokiteshvara took the female form of a mother goddess. She gracefully stands holding in one hand a vase of water that represents the dew of compassion, and in the other hand a lotus flower or a willow branch used to sprinkle the healing waters on those who suffer. I think it's interesting that also at this time in Europe, the Virgin Mary was beginning to be worshipped as a mother goddess. Avalokiteshvara 
Kuan Yin in China, Canon in Japan, and Kuan Am in Vietnam is venerated worldwide as the Bodhisattva of great compassion. Compassion is our ability to recognize and have concern for the suffering of others, which is only possible if we first recognize and have concern for our own pain. Working with suffering, ours and others, isn't easy because we don't want to hurt without even realizing it. We build up walls to protect ourselves, walls made out of old stories and habits, made out of prejudice, fear, arrogance, opinions, pride. Compassion is the crack in these walls that we erect. It's how the light gets in. We train ourselves in finding these openings by nurturing our capacity to rejoice, to let go, to love, cry, be generous. We always have this choice. We can let circumstances of our life harden us so that we become more afraid. Or we can let compassion help us let go of our self-centeredness, humble us when we're arrogant, soften us when we're unkind, slow us down when we're mindless. To cultivate our compassion, what we'd like to do is to use practices that don't cause us discomfort, but at the same time, heal us. We'd like to control the uncontrollable, hoping to be comfortable and safe. But training in Prajnaparamita compassion doesn't work that way. Instead, we must open our heart and also our ears, our eyes, our mind to our own suffering and the suffering of others. With Prajnaparamita compassion, we help others help themselves. We do not rescue. Trying to fix another stokes the ego in one and keeps the other helpless. And besides, fixing someone else is impossible. Prajnaparamita is not doormat compassion which is undignified, lacks grace, and is disrespectful. It is not indulgent. Even after a hard day, it's not compassion to eat a second piece of chocolate cake. It is not an ennobling compassion, though when we offer compassion, we often have to look deeply to tell the difference between compassion and enabling. Prajnaparamita is not all love and light. If we don't work intelligently, 
people will become addicted to our help in the same way they become addicted to alcohol or sleeping pills or sugar. By trying to get more and more help, they become more and more helpless. So because of people's natural tendency toward indulgence, sometimes our compassion has to be quite sharp, even stinging. It is important not to take compassion too seriously. To be truly compassionate, we need to maintain our sense of humor and joy. The Buddha said that Avalokiteshvara is in each of us, that openness and warmth and concern are our true home. We find Avalokita's teachings on compassion in many sutras, but she's most connected to the Heart Sutra and the Lotus Sutra. So we'll look briefly at the Heart Sutra, where Avalokita teaches the heart of Prajnaparamita. Thich Khan recently made a new translation and renamed the Heart Sutra to help us understand that the heart of the Heart Sutra is the insight that brings us to the other shore. Avalokita's insight into the very essence of Prajnaparamita, the perfect understanding of the true nature of reality that puts an end to suffering. Even after our teacher retranslated the Heart Sutra, it is not an easy read for a logical mind. Its wisdom is confusing with all its talk about emptiness that isn't, doesn't mean void, and all the no's and nots and nothings to hold on to. But I'm thinking that if the sutra were set out neatly and logically with no loose ends, we probably wouldn't keep searching for its deeper meaning. Um, this is difficult, and if you tune out, it's totally okay to think about something less difficult to think about. <laughs> so the sutra begins when Sariputra, one of the Buddha's first disciples, asks Avalokiteshvara two very good questions, questions we might ask. How do I apply the Prajnaparamita to all the thoughts and words and actions in my life? What is the key to training myself in this Prajnaparamita practice? Avalokiteshvara answered him briefly in a sutra that contains the most famous of the Buddhist paradoxes. I'm using our teacher's newest translation. Avalokita said, Listen, Sariputra, 
This body itself is emptiness. Why would she say that? Maybe Avalokita knew that Sariputra believed, like we do, that because this body appears to be a solid, unchanging, separate entity, he needed, like we do, to learn the truth of emptiness, the heart of Prajnaparamita. So, what does it mean? This body itself is emptiness. Avalokita is describing the direct relationship of the experience with the body. It means that your body is literally emptiness. It is not solid. And 21st century scientists agree. They say that your body is mostly space and energy. I've heard of research that says that if all of the solid matter of all of the billion of human beings was brought together, it would be about the size of a sugar cube. So this body is not solid. And this body itself is emptiness. Emptiness also means that it is empty of a separate self. It cannot exist alone. It can only coexist. Our body depends on, is connected to, it is everything that exists, existed, or will exist. And this body itself is emptiness also means that it is not, well, so it's not solid and it's not separate. It, so it, even though we cling to the wrong perception that it is constant and changing, this body itself is emptiness because it is continually being born, growing, fading away, and dying. So this body is, sim is empty of a solid, separate, permanent self. Avalokiteshvara says this body itself is emptiness, and then she says emptiness itself is this body, and the same is true of feelings, perceptions, other mental formations, and consciousness. This body is just one of the five elements that make up a human being. The other four elements, which she just mentioned, are consciousness, feelings, perceptions, and other mental formations like attention, determination, insight. These elements also are not solid, are always changing, and are dependent on, connected to each other. 
Let's see if our experience agrees. Consider feelings. Are your feelings solid? Can you see, touch, smell, taste, or hear a feeling? And don't your feelings come and go and come again? Aren't they impermanent? And when you're angry or joyful, doesn't the feeling manifest in your thoughts and in your body? Our feelings don't exist in isolation. So our experience tells us that feelings are not solid, not permanent, and not separate from the other four elements. The same is true of our perceptions, our other mental formations and consciousness. Like the body, they are all non-solid, impermanent, non-separate self-entities. Avalokiteshvara goes on. Listen, Sariputra. So now she's going to give him the really big news. All phenomena bear the mark of emptiness. Avalokita then uses a bunch of no's as examples of how emptiness is the true nature of all phenomena. No birth, death, being, non-being, no, well, no thing is solid. No thing is permanent or separate. Then she lists a lot of things that are not separate. The six sense organs, eyes, ears, and so on, are not separate entities. Ill-being, cause of ill-being, are not separate entities, and so on. Bottom line, nothing is solid. Nothing is unchanging. There is nothing that is independent. Everything is interconnected. Therefore, because everything is one thing and anyway is always changing, there's no thing to struggle to get. We already have it. There's no thing to grasp for, no thing to cling to, not even, according to Avalokita, the Buddha's teachings. As Tai says, we already have all the conditions for happiness. There's no need for our excuses or judgments. No need to label things as good or bad. No need for labels at all. We see that all things are just as they are. Things are as bad or as good as they seem. There's no need to add or take away anything. When we truly understand the truth of emptiness, we connect directly to all phenomena without involving our six senses, 
and without the interference of judgments, prejudices, or any concept or belief. We have direct, deep connection with anxiety, cold, fleas, the, the, the homeless, chocolate. Direct connection with hate and anger and fear and love and joy and hope and ease. When our mind is free of the belief in separateness, it stops struggling against uncertainty and ambiguity. When we understand that there is no ultimate answer or stopping place, we can stop struggling. Emptiness, then, is the simple, direct, unfiltered connection with people, animals, plants, and minerals, with all experiences, situations, and with relationships, with all thoughts and feelings. Avalokita then says, whoever can see this no longer needs anything to attain. If you understand this teaching, she says, you can overcome all fear, destroy all perceptions, and realize perfect nirvana. Well, the Heart Sutra is not an easy read for a logical mind. But instead of freaking about emptiness and all the no's and nots and nothings, we could say that this sutra is an invitation for us to let go and relax. We could even replace all of her examples of no's and nots and nothings in the sutra with our own personal concerns. My anger is not solid, not permanent, and does not stand alone. My friends are not solid, unchanging, and separate. So we could make the Heart Sutra into our own heart meditation on those things, friendships and anger and so on, that really, that we are really interested in. We're told that many of the students listening to Avalokiteshvara were so shocked by the teachings that they just tuned her out. Probably you did the same. Some of her listeners thought, this is crazy, let's go, and they left. We're told that others had heart attacks and died on the spot. <laughs> Thank God you didn't. Maybe her students like us didn't like to have their basic assumptions challenged. Avalokiteshvara wrapped up her short but profound emptiness in a nutshell dharma talk with just a five-word mantra that itself contains 
the entire teaching. Gate, gate, paragate, parasamgate, bodhisattva. Gate, let's go to the other shore, let's go. Gate, let's leave this shore of discomfort and go to the other shore, to the shore of wisdom, compassion, freedom, bliss. Paragate, let's hold hands and all of us go there together. Parasamgate, we can't leave anyone behind, even those who are difficult. Mosquitoes, sticker burrs, poisoned rivers, poisoned ivy, hateful people. We can't leave them behind because we are all connected. We're all one. If they don't go, we can't go. So let's all go to the other shore together. Bodhisvaha. Hallelujah. Amen. Let me hear an amen. amen. Yeah. <laughs> when the Bodhisattva had finished her talk, the, Bo- the Buddha who had been listening said, Good, good. You expressed it perfectly, Avalokiteshvara. And those in the audience who had not tuned out or walked out or died from heart attacks <laughs> rejoiced. Our teacher has taught a very simple and beautiful two-word chant that helps us honor uh, the Avalokita, the Bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara, and the Avalokita within us. First, we chant Namo, which is a word offering honor and respect. And then we chant her name this way, Valokiteshvaraya. Some folks think that the chant is magical, like asking something outside ourselves to come and save us. Some see the chant as devotional. But our teacher says that when we listen or chant in the spirit of Zen, trusting in our own ability to be awakened and realizing for ourselves the insight the chant will set us free. Tai continues, if you have some pain or sorrow or fear in your heart, it's time for you to open your heart and allow the collective energy of mindfulness and compassion to penetrate and help embrace that block of pain like a drop of water surrendering into the river. As we chant together in mindfulness, take refuge in the Sangha and allow the collective energy of the Sangha to embrace you so that the healing can take place easily. If you have someone in your family or a friend who suffers in this moment, who cannot be here, you can very well send this energy to that person by thinking of them and calling their name silently. In that way, this energy will be channeled to that person. 
So let us sit together in a relaxed way, focus our attention on our in-breath, our out-breath, and stay, Ty says, in this zone of collective mindfulness generated by our breathing and our chanting. So BK will begin for us, and you're invited to join in whenever you're ready.
the Prajna Paramita teaching of Avalokiteshvara, the Bodhisattva of great compassion. Our work is to cherish and nurture her perfect compassion that lives within us. So we'll now touch the earth or bow deeply to honor her life and the teachings of the Bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara that dwell within us. So at the sound of the bell, please rise. If you like, put your hands together to form a lotus before your heart. Invoking the Bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara, I release the suffering that I've created. I release all of my clinging, labeling, and grasping all of my disbelief, hopelessness, and despair.
all of my overwhelm, headaches, and pain, all of my self-indulgence, enabling, and vain attempts to fix everyone and everything. I release all of my suffering and the causes of my suffering. And I open my heart now to receive from Mother Earth her healing energy. Please bow deeply or touch the earth. Dear Mother, with your energy, please help me transform my suffering and become a Bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara. Here and now, I fully recognize and own the seeds of the Bodhisattva Avalokita within me. I vow to help these seeds grow by diligently watering them every day with lightness, diligence, and joy. I am ready to claim my innate ability to know how to listen in order to understand and to become increasingly skillful at it. I call upon my ability to listen without prejudice judging or reacting, to listen attentively and hear what's being said and also what is being left unsaid, to listen with perfected, wise compassion. I know that by listening, I am already alleviating a great deal of pain and suffering in myself and in the other person. I acknowledge that I am an interdependent being who is continually being born, continually growing, continually fading away, and continually dying. It is inner being that makes it possible for me to be able to transform and be in touch with my inner bodhisattva Avalokita. Please rise and then be seated for a few moments of silent reflection.
May the fruit of our study of the life and teachings of the Bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara, who taught us to listen deeply with compassion and recognize our oneness with all beings, benefit us, which of course includes our teacher and all beings. <laughs>